This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review. All things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. We will restore fair pensions for seniors and we will restore OAS eligibility to age 65. That's opposition leader Thomas Mulcair outlining what he would do for Zoomers if his party is elected in 2015. He made the announcement at CARP's annual general meeting in Toronto, and I'll bring you a full-length interview on his ideas for revamping our pension system. Plus, as we told you, Christopher Plummer and our own Moses Nimer have been named lead patrons for the organization Dying with Dignity, an advocacy group fighting to legalize physician-assisted death at the end of life. I'll be joined by the organization's executive director, Wanda Morris, to find out just where Canadians stand on this sensitive issue. They did the mash. They did the monster mash. And just in time for Halloween, a classic song turns 50. We'll get into the holiday spirit and do the monster mash. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. This week, Antony Dobrowolski, the oldest known survivor of the Auschwitz-Birkenau concentration camp, passed away at the age of 108. After invading Poland in 1939, the Germans banned anything beyond four years of elementary education in a bid to crush Polish culture. They considered the Poles inferior beings. An underground effort to continue to teach children immediately emerged, and those caught were punished by being sent to concentration camps. Dobrowolski was one of the Polish teachers engaged in this. He was sent to Auschwitz in June 1942 and later transferred to the Grossrosen and Sachsenhausen camps. Later in his life, he reflected on his time at Auschwitz, describing the camp as worse than Dante's hell. He is buried in the town of Debno. There's just over a week until the U.S. election and both parties are using Medicare as a hot-button issue to sway undecided voters. The Romney camp is accusing the Obama administration of cutting billions of dollars from Medicare to pay for Obamacare, while the Obama campaign is telling voters that Romney will replace Medicare with a voucher system that could end up costing seniors an extra $6,000 a year. Medicare is an important issue with both parties running expensive attack ads on the subject. And while the overall polls have the two candidates neck and neck, polls that focus only on Medicare have Obama on top. Sun Life Financial and CARP have released the results of a new poll showing that the majority of respondents age 45 plus expect to live past the age of 80. One of three will rely on selling real estate for financial support during retirement. Actually, almost 9 in 10 expect to live past 80, with almost a third expecting to live past age 90. The survey also found over half have not factored long-term care costs into their retirement plan, and approximately 40% 
remain worried about outliving their savings. And finally, are you a new grandparent or godparent? If so, you might need to brush up on your baby care skills. New research presented at the American Academy of Pediatrics annual meeting shows that most grandparent caregivers haven't caught up with many new baby care recommendations. A poll found that 55% believed infants should sleep on their stomach or side rather than the correct position on their back. 49% did not realize that soft toys, crib bumpers, and blankets are no longer considered safe for infants' cribs. And almost 75% didn't know that baby walkers, which are now banned in Canada, are no longer considered safe. The bottom line is that new parents should have frank conversations with their parents when it comes to caregiving for their new infants. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Hi, what's your name? Mary. Hi, Mary. Pleasure. Hi, Hi I'm Renata from Scarborough. Hi, Pleasure Renata. To meet you. Pleasure to meet you, too. That's opposition leader Thomas Mulcair shaking hands with CARP chapter chairs at the organization's annual meeting in Toronto on Friday. He took the opportunity to announce that if the NDP is elected, he would restore the age of eligibility for old age security to 65. And after sitting down with him, you could forgive me for thinking the 2015 election campaign is already on. In the first year of an NDP government, which will be elected in 2015, the first thing that we will do is to make sure that we no longer have any seniors in Canada living below the poverty line. And we'll do that primarily by increasing the guaranteed income supplement. We estimate that cost at $700 million. Beyond that, we're announcing today that we will not allow the two-year increase to go through. Canada can afford to keep that system. Right now we're giving $50 billion a year cumulative tax decreases to the wealthiest corporations. Just this week, the Auditor General came out with a report and said, hey, this is going to save big bucks. This, when it's fully implemented, which won't be till 2029, it's going to save $10 billion a year. Right. And we're not going to put up with that. There's no way we're going to accept in a country as wealthy as Canada to see the government, by dictate, simply decide that people have to work an extra two years. You forget that a lot of the people who come to retirement at 65 have had very tough jobs during their lives. There's no way you can just snap your fingers and tell them they have to work an extra two years. That equates, by the way, to $13,000 taken out of the pockets of every single person coming to retirement in Canada. But beyond that, we still have over 300,000 people who are retired in Canada who live below the poverty line. They built the country. It would only take $700 million a year to fix it, and that's not even this year's tax reductions for Canada's richest corporations. So governing is about priorities. One of our priorities is to take care of Canadian seniors properly. More and more seniors are connecting with us, realizing that they paid a heavy price during their lives, especially the women who are very often the ones who are living in poverty now. The way things were set up then, there was no such thing as pay equity. Uh, most women earned a lot less than men at the time, and now they have a much smaller income as they retire. So these are inequalities in our society, and one of the roles of government is to diminish inequalities, and that's what the NDP has always been about. We've seen in almost every other Western country, though, the um, what are called entitlements for older people are being cut. Things like the eligibility age, they've gone up basically everywhere. How do you think we can buck that rising tide? Don't forget, th these, these are social contracts. Uh, people built their lives, did their planning, did their RSPs around a date that was known, which was uh, the age of 65. 
in the proposals they just put in for MPs, full pension kicks in at 65. So Mr. Harper and his team will say, well, the, the change of the pensions only starts in a few years, doesn't affect someone who's already retired, as if retired people weren't smart enough to figure that out on their own. But what we are doing is leaving that as a debt to future generations. So one of our priorities is to make sure that Canadians understand that we will respect that contract. There's no reason not to. The age of 65 has been the recognized time. And, you know, as people's lives uh, are extended by medical breakthroughs and the like, all the better. They'll be able to enjoy a few more years because they've worked so hard their whole lives. Is it realistic for us to expect, as we live longer and longer, the gains in life expectancy are huge, that if we're going to live till 90, that we're going to be able to fund, you know, 30 years of retirement? We've had 50 years of economic growth in Canada. Mr. Harper's message is that we have to do with less. There's no reason. And one of the things that we can do to make sure that people stay in their homes and don't go into the public system and become a burden there is to make tax breaks available to a spouse who is the caregiver. Right now, you can get a tax break for anybody else but your spouse if you're paying for care. So that's an easy change that we can make. That alleviates a lot of the pressure on the public system. Just takes a little bit of creativity and wanting to manage the public system well. Of course, as you know, Zoomers vote more than other demographics. Um, how That's important... A point. Yeah, no, we, we do follow that very carefully. Believe it or not, 65%, fully two out of three, of er, out of every young people in Canada, stayed home. They didn't vote. I guess my generation of politician has to take part of the blame for that, for the way we practice politics, but that has to become a top priority. But you're right, the Zoomer demographic comes out and votes. So how key is this going to be in your next election campaign? Well, it's interesting. I guess the next campaign could be called the Generations Campaign because young people are having the largest ecological, economic, and social debt in our history placed in their backpacks. They're going to have to pick up the slack uh, for a lot of people who will come to retirement without enough to live on. So with a little bit of hard work, uh, you know, that, that we think we can do, we want to be able to double uh, the CPP and QPP. Um, that's the Canadian Pension Plan, Quebec Pension Plan as a first step. The system already exists there. We can enhance that rather than having to try to imagine all new systems. Thomas Mulcair, Leader of the Opposition, thank you so much. Pleasure speaking with you, Libby. Pleasure. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up... Dying with Dignity. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. It's an issue at the top of the agenda for Zoomers. If we become grievously ill with no hope of recovery, should we have the right to end our lives? According to a new CARP poll, 79% of us support the idea. As the issue winds its way through the court's legendary actor, Christopher Plummer and Moses Neimer, president of CARP and founder of Zoomer Media, became the lead patrons for the organization Dying with Dignity. I sat down with the group's executive director, Wanda Morris, when she was in town for a number of debates. We realized that there's a lot of misinformation out there, that there are folks who are actually willing to lie about the risks of end-of-life choice. And so we, we needed to have a campaign that showed people that this is something that is safe, that the safeguards work, that this is an option that we can indeed allow Canadians. And so what we wanted to do was recruit people who were well-known and highly respected, who's um, by lending their names to our organization and our cause, people would realize, okay, I think this is indeed something that I can get behind. 
But if the members of CARP, which is affiliated with this radio station, are any indication, they are overwhelmingly 79% in favor of physician-assisted suicide at the end of life. And that's been consistent over the years. I think since the case of Sue Rodriguez, that was something that really touched Canadians' hearts. And people realized, you know, there is sometimes uh, some suffering that only death can end. So Sue Rodriguez in 1993 took her case to the Supreme Court of Canada. And the question that she was asking is, who owns my life? She said, I have a progressive incurable illness, which was ALS. She didn't want to end her life one day too early, but she realized that her disease was progressing, and if she didn't act while she was able to, then she would be unable to end her life when she wanted to and would have to suffer whatever ALS might bring, which could include uh, lying in bed and, and choking to death on her own fluids. So Justice Sapinka agreed with Sue Rodriguez in writing the majority, says, yes, we are infringing your constitutional rights. But he went on to say that we must do this to protect the weak and vulnerable. He said, Canadians don't support this, physicians don't support this, and nowhere else in the Western world is this legal. So now, 20 years later, so much has changed. The law is still unconstitutional, but we know that Canadians do support it. We know that more and more uh, physicians are in support of medical choice in dying, and, and we know, most importantly, that there are five jurisdictions that have legalized choice. So we have years of evidence, uh, 15 from Oregon, 10 from the Netherlands, where this is probably the most studied piece of legislation ever written, where people have poured over it to see, do the safeguards work? And time after time, the conclusion has been, yes, the safeguards work. So what have we learned from the jurisdictions where it's legal? How often is it used? There's uh, around 75 people a year in, in Oregon. And in Oregon, what individuals get is a prescription, which they can then get filled and then take to end their suffering. And what we know in Oregon is that many, many more people want it than actually will ever use it. And indeed, many people will ask for the prescription and never fill it, and others will fill it and never take it, uh, because it provides a tremendous peace of mind for people to know that if the worst comes to the worst, they have this element of control. What are the safeguards and how do they work? The critical point about the safeguards is to make sure that somebody is absolutely free from coercion and that this is a, a persistent and consistent wish that they have over time. So the safeguards are things like making sure that the person has, first of all, the medical diagnosis of unbearable suffering uh, and an incurable condition, making sure that they have repeatedly requested assistance to die. Nobody else can suggest to someone that they should have this. They need to ask it for themselves. And then there needs to be uh, a cooling off period. And is a cooling off period after the last time the person asks and before they can actually get the prescription. Do you have a calendar of events? I know you're appearing at a number of debates. We do. Uh, we speak right across the country, myself and staff members and volunteers. Our website, dyingwithdignity.ca, in our event section, will list those. And we're also happy to come speak to senior centers or other groups, church groups, uh, CARP meetings, whoever would like to have us. Okay. Wanda, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Last June, the B.C. Supreme Court ruled that Canada's ban on physician-assisted death is unconstitutional, and it gave Parliament one year to draft new legislation. 
The federal government is appealing, and that case goes to the B.C. Court of Appeal next March. Legal experts believe it is likely to end up in the Supreme Court of Canada, where in 1993, Sue Rodriguez lost her fight to legally end her life. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. They did the match. They did the monster match. We'll take a quick break and then get into the Halloween spirit with a song that was released 50 years ago this month. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time now for the International Arts Datebook. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Michael Kramer. In New York, you can see The Scream, the famous Edvard Munch painting. It's at the Museum of Modern Art until April. And over at the Ethel Barrymore Theater, audiences are loving Chaplin the Musical with the remarkable Broadway debut of Rob McClure in the title role. It's sort of a Jean Valjean life. I mean, it it goes from nothing to everything and back again. It's quite a ride, and the audience makes me cry every night. To London's Tate Britain Gallery, where you'll see works from the best up-and-coming British artists who've been shortlisted for the 2012 Turner Prize. And in Rome... It's the Roma Europa Festival, continuing around the Eternal City, offering music, dance, and theater with an eclectic mix of international acts. I'm Michael Kramer, and that's your International Arts Datebook. Thanks, Michael. Halloween is just days away. It's become one of the most popular holidays here in North America. And with all the costumes, candy, and decorations, it's also the second highest grossing commercial holiday behind Christmas. And while the number of Halloween songs pales in comparison to Christmas carols, there are still a few that have earned our love through the years. One of those songs is celebrating its 50th anniversary this year. When it was released in 1962, it spent two weeks at the number one position on the charts. Since then, it's been an annual favorite. Here it is, Bobby Pickett and the Crypt Keepers doing the Monster Mash. I was working in the lab late one night when my eyes beheld an eerie sight. For my monster from his slab began to rise. And suddenly, to my surprise, he did the mash. He did the monster match. The monster match. It was a graveyard smash. He did the match. It got on in a flash. He did the match. He did the monster match. Oh. From my laboratory in the castle east oh. to the master bedroom where the vampires feast. Oh. The ghouls all came from their humble abode oh. to get a jolt from my electrode. They did the match. They did the monster match. The monster match. It was a graveyard smash. They did the match. It caught on in a flash. They did the match. They did the monster match. Oh. The zombies were having fun. In the, the party had just begun. In the, the guests included Wolfman, in Dracula, and his son. Wow. The scene was rocking, all were digging the sounds. Igor on chains, backed by his baying hounds. The coffin bangers were about to arrive with their vocal group, the Crypt Kicker Five. They played the match. 
They played the Monster Mash. The Monster Mash. It was a graveyard smash. They played the Mash. It got on in a flash. They played the Mash. They played the Monster Mash. Out from his coffin, Jack's voice did ring. Seemed he was troubled by just one thing. Opened the lid and shook his fist and said, Whatever happened to my Transylvania twist? It's now the Mash. Now the monster mash, the monster mash, and it's a graveyard smash. It's now the mash, it's caught on in a flash. It's now the mash, it's now the monster mash. Now everything's cool, Drax's a part of the band, and my monster mash is the hit of the land. For you, the living, this mash was meant to. When you get to my door, tell them what is said. Then you can mash. Then you can monster mash, the monster mash, and do my graveyard smash. Then you can mash, you'll catch on in a flash. Then you can mash, then you can monster mash. Mash, you win. That was Bobby Pickett and the Crypt Keepers with the Monster Mash, a song that is celebrating its 50th anniversary this year. It spent two weeks in the number one position on the charts when it was first released in October 1962. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you have a happy Halloween. Please come back next week when we'll talk about alpha boomers and how they're changing the world of advertising. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.